only hours. Okay, so um, just a few announcement things. Actually, I got a lot of things that I wanted to announce. Of course, read the bulletin. Um, uh, let's see, a couple things that Brian wants to make sure we pass along. Um, so, you know, there's a box. I think most everybody knows there's a box in the lobby with uh, file slots in them, and each one of those slots is, is an alphabetic slot for exchanging Christmas cards among the church. So uh, you might want to check if you want to, if you want to drop some off for people, you can put them in there. You don't have to do every one of them, but you can if you want. Uh, and you can find probably cards from other people to you in there as well. Check it every next, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so that he just want to mention that. And um, yeah, so we're, you know, the last few weeks we've been talking about offering, and I mentioned the last couple of weeks that um, uh, I, I recommended that we go back to passing the plate on Sunday morning. So we're going to start that today. And if you want an envelope, give me an envelope. They're prepared and ready in the foyer to pick up as well. Uh, some people use giving envelopes, some people don't. But if you want, uh, they should be there. If you don't want them, that's okay. Uh, I kind of all coordinated together. I didn't plan that. Um, let's see. Brian also had some uh, like little cards, uh, not not the size of a business card, but a little bit bigger. That has a um, basically has a barcode on it that you can use as an invitation to invite people to come to the Christmas Eve service. Um, and then people have to do is scan that card, and it'll open up a page off of our website so they can read about our Christmas Eve service and and uh, get the details on that. So that's an invitation that Brian wanted to make available to anybody who wants to take as many cards as you want. You can use them to pass out as, as you know, somebody's, might, if you know somebody might be interested in coming to church, that's a good way to, hey, you know, we're having a service. And we do get phone calls every year, surprisingly. Are you are you guys having a Christmas Eve or a New Year's Eve service? And uh, uh, it is a Christmas, I'm sorry. A Christmas service. And uh, we didn't used to do a Christmas Eve service, and, but we used to get a lot of phone calls, and so that motivated us, okay, we'll do one. It's been a blessing to do them. Um, and uh, so that's uh, available, on, on, I, I think um, they're in the lobby someplace. I don't know exactly where, probably on the, on the connections counter. And then uh, just a couple of things to mention, uh, the, the Oaxaca team is uh, their, uh, the mission trip team was still in Oaxaca today. They'll be leaving tomorrow, coming home. So as you guys probably know, the, you know we're in, uh, what, variant 500 mm-hmm. on the drugs, or the, the COVID. And um, so far, uh, the government hasn't uh, blocked flights into the United States from Mexico. But they have... They're getting ready to close the border from other other countries, um, and uh, so we don't want that to happen to that team because then they'll be stuck in Mexico City or someplace in Mexico. Um, they'll probably make it to Mexico, which Mexico City, where their their um, inter, you know, intermediate stop is. And if they can't fly from Mexico City to the United States, then that's where they'll stay for who knows how long. They could just walk across the border. Well, they could. <laughs> They don't even have to bring a passport. They just show up. Turn themselves in at the border. Yeah. Um, 
But do pray for the team. Uh, they're doing well. They're, they've got a lot of things going on. Um, and I, along the same lines with that, uh, the Jalowicks in Zambia, uh, Jan had been traveling, and she got stuck in South Africa. I think it was South Africa. She couldn't get to Zambia for a few days because they weren't moving. The, the flights were shut down. But she did make it home yesterday. So that's, that's a blessing. Um, and... Um, So the t January 9th is a special day for the church. It's not a, we don't really pay much attention to it, but January 9th is the 20th anniversary of Heartland. January 9th. January 9th. So we're going to have a celebration service that day. So people just kind of be, be, be aware of that. Um, yeah, it's 20, 20 years. I don't know exactly that. If that was the day that they had their co commissioning service or I don't know exactly, but because I know we, we do the, Vision Conference in April, which is also coincidental about the same time of starting up the church. Um, but anyway, so January 9th, he's wanting to mention that. And um, I think that's everything there. The volleyball sign-up is still, uh, details are online. You can still sign up for that. I gave you the wrong date for cleaning. Uh, last week I told you it was January something. Uh, we don't clean until February 19th. So we'll get a reprieve for a few more weeks, so... Uh, that's good. And there is a discipleship dinner, which Brian would like for everybody who is a discipler to come to the dinner. Um, and I think the date is the 25th of February. I don't know what that day is right now. If that's a uh, week. Anybody? The 25th? Yeah. Is that a, is that a, that's a Friday. That's a Friday? Yeah. Well. Is that, he said something. I might have the wrong date. I think it's Saturday the 19th of February. That's what I have in my calendar. Well, that's very probably the case. Okay. I, you know, don't have my glasses on, so Jeremy, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know that discipleship dinner in February? I think it's February 12th. You think it's the 12th? Well, hope. we have three days. We want to pick yeah. one. We have the 12th, the 19th, and the no, 25th. No, it's the weekend of um, we got the President's Day. Or President's Day weekend. So the 19th. I think it's the 19th. He said the 12th, and I think he Okay, well, in any case... You'll be hearing more about it, so please plan to attend. I know Brian would really be, would, would like people to come. I think he's going to have a guest speaker. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's a, yeah, it's um, Thank you. So, um, then uh, the only other thing I want to mention is uh, continue to pray for the Arnies, uh, for Gwaine. Um, his medication adjustments have helped, but when he laid on the table again to get his CT scans again one more time, and he, it just... Uh, it was hard on him again. So, so the the back pain, the soreness, everything, and um, so things were looking good. And then that, and then so just continue to pray for him, for them to find a place that they can get him comfortable on that table. Because I know they have to do the scans and uh, keep Bud and uh, Bob Hall in prayer. Especially Bob Hall's is your daughter, my granddaughter, your granddaughter. And their family, the whole family's got COVID, oh uh, including a three-month-old baby. Oh my! So be in prayer for that uh, baby, especially because I don't, you don't hear too much about that kind of situation. I have no idea what they will, how they treat them. Are they in the hospital? No, they just got them quarantined at home. Okay. Most of the little kids have been doing really well yeah. with it. Yeah, but a three-month-old. Yeah, that's, that's, that's concerning. Yeah, that's a, I mean, three-month-old, they don't have, do they even have an immune system yet? 
I mean, yeah. that's a challenge. They do? Okay, well, good. Uh, well, hopefully uh, it'll all go well. And, um, and uh, so, you know, those are some of the announcements. And there's a lot of stuff in the bulletin that you guys can keep up with, different things going on there. And uh, so we're in, uh, if you turn over to Psalm chapter 148, we're going to, that's a, a where we're going we're gonna to read that passage, then we're going to pray, and then um, pray for all the things I mentioned, uh, and anything else that you may have as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we use the, the, the passages, well, I wouldn't read through my glasses, no, it's really fun. You want Okay, Psalm 148. Um, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all ye, all of His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of uh, ye heavens of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He hath commanded, and they are were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilleth his, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all um, cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. Kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for this passage. It just reminds us just how awesome and how great you are. And Lord, in every aspect of, of life around the world, um, we praise you for all the things you do, especially in verse 13. Uh, Lord, we praise your name, for your name alone is excellent, uh, and your glory is above all things. And we thank you for, for allowing us to be uh, a servant to you, a part of your family, uh, a, a child of the living God. We thank you for that. We pray, Father, for all of the people that we mentioned um, uh, in the class that need prayer and for uh, Gwen Arney, uh, the Balkans, Bud and, and uh, Bob Klein and his granddaughter and their whole family, Lord. We pray that you would move in their life, Lord, and uh, uh, resu- uh, just uh, re- repair all the needs, Lord, in all of those places and all those families. And we ask, Father, for your help there that you would show yourself mighty in their life. And we thank you for the team in Oaxaca and ask you to bring them home safe uh, when they travel tomorrow.
And Father, we can conclude in prayer again. We're just thankful, Lord, that we can uh, acknowledge uh, uh, who you are in our life and uh, seek um, seek assistance from you, Lord, in, in so many other situations that, that are going on. Just ask for you to um, to move in, in everybody's life, Lord, in a way that we can see you and acknowledge you and that we can be a reflection of who you are. And, they would, and through our life, Lord, you would be able to be witnessed of, of others as well. And they could also praise you and, and glorify you for who you are. We just ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us in our heart, guide us and direct us in this, uh, this study in Second Corinthians and also in... Uh, uh, as Brian wraps up his, his study today uh, in the main service, and we just give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians is where we're at. We're, we're going to um, conclude our little series on giving today because uh, we're going to finish, we're going to get into chapter 9. I may, because of the print, may ask somebody else to read the passages, but. Uh, um, I can see my notes, so that's okay. Um, so anyway, so this is a quick introduction again. Every Christian, and this may sound strange when I say this, but every Christian ought to be eager, anxious, and thrilled about the opportunity to give. Every Christian should, should be eager, anxious, and thrilled about the opportunity to give. Remember I asked a question a couple weeks ago, what's your favorite thing about coming to church? And people said music and fellowship and preaching and so on and so forth. And I said, well, what about... Who looks forward to coming to give? Just they want to put something in the plate, which is why we're going to pass the plate again, so we have a plate to put something in. Not that you can't still put it in the box or send it electronically or whatever. You can still do that. But remember what Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 6? This is kind of a a reference about how we should feel about giving. In chapter 6, verse 38, he says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. I like that part about running over. The more you give, the more it runs out all over you and just, just it consumes your life in, in, in a way that's just a positive thing by you giving. And he goes on and says, Shall men give unto your bosom for with the same measure that you met it with all, the measure that you give, you get it back. Uh, with all, it should be measured to you again. Verse 20, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which we're going to be in verse 6, he says, Paul writes, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. So Paul had to deal with this church. He had to address the Corinthians and address their lack of attending to a commitment that they had made. They had made the commitment. I, I really look for, uh, you know, in the scriptures and places, you know, where did they actually make that commitment? We don't know, but we know Paul was there, and part of it was it, he addressed a little bit of it in 1 Corinthians, which is about a year uh, apart in, in the lettering and the times that he was there. So probably a year earlier, we would say, uh, they had made a commitment uh, to, to give. And Paul had to address their lack of attending to a commitment that they had made um, to give help to the church in Jerusalem. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we were at last couple of weeks, in chapter, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 10 and 11, he said, I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago, uh, that, that he's referring to, you were forward enough to say you were going to make a commitment to give a year ago. Now I have to address you on it. Now therefore, verse 11, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there should be a performance out also out of that which he had. So I think that we can all kind of, kind of conclude that Paul is both speaking of giving to the cause 
as much as he is talking about keeping your word. So there's two aspects, really, in these two chapters. If you, if you make a commitment to God, don't fail to keep the commitment. Whatever that, whether it's about finances or an offering, or uh, if you commit, for example, uh, I commit to going on a mission trip. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the trip is being built, the team is being built, everything is around you, and all of a sudden, the last day, you say, you know what, I'm not going. Don't do that. You mean, commit. If you, I, I don't know about you, but I, I personally, if somebody commits something to me, I want to I know that I can trust that. God made a commitment to you. And Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy. He says um, that he, that, uh, I can't remember the verse. Let me see if I can even find it real quick, because I think it's 1 Timothy 1, 2, or it might be 2 Timothy 1, 2. In the wrong place here. Now I just got to find it because it's going to bother me if I don't find it. Second Timothy chapter one verse tw- uh, verse twelve. For this which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now Paul is saying, I commit something to God. What is he? I commit my future life to you, God. So you and I, when we got saved, we got eternal life. And we commit our living today because of what he's committed to us in the future. And so I want God to maintain his word and keep his word and take me to heaven and live for eternity. Because that's what he promised. If he doesn't do that, then he's kind of a liar, isn't he? And we know that God can't be a liar. Uh, James, I think it's James, says, says that, that God cannot lie. And so we hold him to a commitment. Paul is saying that God holds him to a commitment. And so now he's telling the church at Corinth, you made a commitment, you need to stick with it. So let me get back to first, uh, Second Corinthians again real quick. Okay, so anyway, um, both, the, both me, me committing and, and honoring my commitment and God committing and honoring his commitment, really... Um, they represent the integrity of God as he gave himself and he keeps his word. So, so we're, we're representing God. And if we don't keep our word, uh, then people are going to think, well, God doesn't keep his word either. And so chapters 8 and 9 had been concerned with the collection which the apostle was raising from, in all the Gentile Christian communities to send assistance back to Jerusalem because they were in suffering. And so giving is a hard issue. Let me just, that's the point of this letter, of this this. This chapter 9, really, is giving is a heart issue. So in these two chapters, Paul has exposed the principles of giving. That's what we've been talking about. So we look at verses 1 to 5 um, of chapter 9. He says, for, for as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous. Now, I have to ask you, how do you pronounce that word? Superfluous. Superfluous. Okay. Because I sometimes say superfluous. <laughs> That's pretty. I don't know. You know... I went to a lot of different schools, so I... I <laughs> anyway, superfluous. So I, the, um, 
For as touching and ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write this to you, write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be vain in this behalf, that as I, as I said, ye may be ready. Verse 4, Let happily, Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me, and find you unprepared, we, that, that we say not, yet, um, yea, ye shall be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you, and make, uh, and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. Okay, so there's a lot there. So basically, commit to giving. Commit to you what you've promised to give. So the word superfluous, however you want to pronounce that, superfluous. <laughs> okay, we can have fun. <laughs> In general, I think everybody knows, but in general it means further effort would exceed what is sufficient or necessary to do. It's just, you know, there's no, I, don't, I don't need to go down this road, but I'm going to go down this road. That's what Paul is saying. It, it means that, what, what, that which exceeds over and above that which is necessary. Okay, so he's already written chapter 8, but does he really have to go into chapter 9? He says, well, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, it's, it's above and beyond what I need to do, because if you were doing what you were do, supposed to be doing, I wouldn't need to do what I'm going to do. So anyway, Paul is acknowledging that there's no further need to continue to encourage them to give because they already know what action on their part needs to be done. He said, we read earlier, uh, perform the doing of it. You've already said you're going to do it, so perform the doing of it. But Paul knows it's not necessary to go abundantly above what he is about to do, but he has to do it. And so the best comparison that I can find is in the recognition of all that Jesus Christ has done. Remember what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 about, about Jesus. Unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So if that can happen in you, then you need to abundantly do everything you said you're going to do, because Jesus is going to do everything he said he's going to do. Essentially, Paul is no longer encouraging them to give. Instead, he takes the remaining part of this passage, chapter 9, to remind them of their commitment. You made a commitment. Let's remind now, He's not just talking about giving now. He's talking about committing, uh, executing on the commitment. Now in verse 2, Paul's boasted on the, of the forwardness of their previous giving. And he acknowledges how their zeal motivated the Macedonians to meet a need that they could help with. So his, their, their, their zeal to give motivated the Macedonian churches to give. Philippia or Philippi. Philippi, that'll work. Um, uh, Thessalonica and so on. So, um, he helped, he, their zeal motivated those churches to give. And so there, there are often needs that we can't help with. Now, I mean, things come to us all the time where we can't always help. But there's things, there's sometimes that we can help. But when we learn of a need, we need to consider how God would allow our participation in meeting that need. That is a legitimate thing for a Christian to do. There's a need. Can I help? God, can I help? How would you like me to help, God? And sometimes God says, no, you set aside. That's okay. I got other people taking care of it. Just pray over it. 
That's, a, that's always a given. You're just going to pray about that need. Um, but uh, but uh, Paul wants to make sure they, that they know that, that, that they, have been, they have given and, and can give, and Paul has previously boasted of the churches about their, about their giving. Now, he told the Macedonians, but you know, he also told other churches, and I think it's kind of interesting, it's not just the Macedonians. He told the Romans, too, the, the church at Rome. If you look at Romans chapter 15, verse 25, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 25, Paul writes to the church there, I go to Jerusalem. Now he's basically saying, okay, I got the, the, the giving, the money that was collected, and now I'm going back to Jerusalem. He says, I go back to Jerusalem, verse 25 of Romans 15, to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. And Achaia, that would be Corinth. That was the churches of Corinth. So it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, See, they, they, Paul says that they are in debt. Why are they in debt? Because they made a commitment. You ever think about your commitments as a debt offering? You are in debt to the person, to the thing, to the, to the situation that you've committed to. You're now in debt. That's what Paul is saying to, about the church. Uh, it pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them into the carnal things. So they made a they made a debt they made a commitment and that they owe a debt. And we'll talk about that here shortly. So these Gentile churches they are in debt to the church at Jerusalem first because the first believing church they're in debt just what the church did. You know if it wasn't for the Jerusalem church there wouldn't be a Corinthian church. If it wasn't for the Jerusalem church there wouldn't be a Macedonian church. If it wasn't for the Jerusalem church there wouldn't be a church at Antioch. Because the church. That was where the church started, was in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. When it first started growing and the numbers were growing, Acts chapter 6, we started getting deacons and all this stuff. And then Acts chapter 7, we have a deacon that is preaching the, the, the truth and he gets, he gets executed. And then there's the persecution of chapter, chapter 8 and they spread all over the world. And they ended up, a lot of them, in Antioch. They started a church in Antioch. That church was the church that sent Paul out to plant and start all these other churches all the way. So, so, so they kind of owe their existence as a believer, as a Christian, to the church of Jerusalem. So they're in debt to the Jerusalem church just to help. Hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's help them. Not only that, but they made a commitment to help, and so they're committed that way as well. It could be said, you know, it could be said that they had entered into a promissory note to send support. I mean, that's kind of what a commitment is. You promise, and, and that's commitment. You know, I promise I'll do this. You know, when you got married, uh, you made a commitment at the vow, you know, wedding vows. I commit, I'll, I'll be with you for the rest of my life. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen, unfortunately, but, but there is a commitment that's made there. And in verses 3 to 5, he, he, re, he refers back to Cindy, what I call Team Titus, in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 9, verse 3 to 5. Says, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. And so I'm going to read the whole passage there, but it's not, it's, they, he didn't send Team Titus to actually collect the commitment. What he did was he sent them there to help them prepare the church to ensure that Paul's boasting of their, their commitment was not in vain. Paul's going to come and get the money. He's going to come and collect the, they're, they're going to give it to Paul directly. And Paul's going to carry it back to Jerusalem. It's, it's not, and which is actually pretty wise in this case because we don't want to say, well, I gave it to Titus and Titus must have lost it. 
Paul is not going to let that kind of thing happen. In verse 3, Paul wants the church to be ready with their collection when he arrives, so that there's no mistake in the fulfillment of their commitment. I think verse 3 says, Yet have I sent the the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in itself, that as I said, ye may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me. So he's saying, hey, there's some of these Macedonian guys, they may want to come to Corinth and thank you for their encourage, the encouragement they got from you. So when they come with me, you, be, you need to be ready to give. Because they're going to they're gonna say, but you guys said a year ago you were going to give. And then you're going to let down the church in Macedonia, they're going to go back home and say, well, we're never going to give again. Or whatever they might say. So uh, in verse 4 he says he wanted to ensure that they had found prepared that they have collected the support and were ready to send it by Paul's hand. He even expressed a concern of shame should it become evident the Corinthians failed to meet their commitment. Um, see, that is um, verse 4. Thus happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, parentheses, that we say not ye, should be ashamed. Now he's very clear about this, and there's actually some interesting things to think about there. He's saying um, that we will be ashamed, not you. You're not going to be ashamed. I want to be ashamed of you. That's what he's saying there. And so he makes it clear that it is not them that would be ashamed, but their lack would be his embarrassment. Because he's the one that told the Macedonians, yeah, the church of Corinth, they're going to give. You want, you want to see it? Come with me and I'll show you. They're going to give. You'll see it. And then he gets there and they don't give. And, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. you know, they said they were going to give and they didn't give. I'm, I'm embarrassed for them. That's what he's saying. You're not going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be embarrassed. Paul, back in chapter 8, Paul spoke so highly of the Corinthians and their willingness to give that he used them as an encouragement to the Macedonians. And so he wants to make sure that they understand he's going to be embarrassed. So their, their lack is going to be on his shoulders. The ones who should bear the shame, though, of course, is Corinth. But Paul always protected the church. And he would bear the shame himself for their failure. He's going to bear the shame. Um, you know, that's why, that's kind of where the expression, the buck stops here, kind of comes from. But the buck stops at our pastor's uh, shoulders. He carries, when we mess up, He's the one that people look at. They look at the church as a whole, but they look at him and say, You're the, you know, he, he represents the church. So he carries the embarrassment and the shame when we don't do what we say we're going to do. It's kind of like in Ezekiel. You don't have to turn to Ezekiel. But in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 54, that thou mayest bear thine own shame and mayest be confounded in all that thou hast done if thou art a comfort unto them, in that thou art a comfort to them. So, you're going to be a comfort to them or you're going to be ashamed. So um, be aware anyway. So sometimes we need to be nudged to keep our commitments, and that's what Paul's doing. He's trying to nudge them along. And we should make a commitment to support the work of the church. We all should make a commitment to support the work of the church and various ministries of the church. And we should do it cheerfully. As he says in the next section, starting in verse 5 again, and I'm not going to read the whole passage right in a wider way, but um, I do want to read... Uh, Five and six, if I can. So I'll tell you what, somebody read verses five and six for me. That's, that's a little struggling with the smaller print of my Bible. Okay. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go 
before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had notice before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Go ahead and read verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Okay, so so our giving needs to be a cheerful action. We, You know, it's like, ah, oh, man. Stick something else in a plate because if somebody doesn't, if they if they don't see me put something in a the plate, then they're going to think bad. No, don't do it. Don't, do, don't even go there like that. That's why we have boxes. You just drop them. <laughs> um, but uh, but seriously, Paul's Paul's telling the church that God loves a cheerful giver. So starting at the end of verse five, he gives a final reason for the sending of the of Team Titus, uh, and I I would say it's a matter of bounty versus covetousness. It's a matter of bounty versus covetousness. Paul uses the analogy of sowing seed, which is really interesting because we're just talking about collecting money here. But he uses the analogy of sowing seed. Um, verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap uh, also bountifully. And so he uses that analogy of sowing seed. And in most of the Bible, what is sown? What is the actual thing that is sown in the Bible? The it's the word. Okay, so you can make a, 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 a connection that giving promotes the sowing of the word. If we give, the word can be sown in a much uh, fruitier way. I say fruitier because we want to get the fruit of selling out. Super flower way. Flower You're going to make me laugh and I couldn't <laughs> Okay. All right. So anyway, where am I at now? I lost my place. Okay. So Paul is using this analogy. He sent the brethren. He sent the, the team Titus so that they can assist the church in arranging beforehand their previously promised gift and to ensure that it is not affected by covetousness. So covetousness, I would define as the illicit desire to have what belongs to another. And I'm not talking about the, the you know the, the Ten Commandments that says thou shalt not covet. That's not that's a whole different thing. Uh, I'm talking about just you. It's like you know they see all that money laying on there, and that's why you have to have people. I hate to say this, but that's why you have to have multiple people watching the money because the covetousness of that money is so easy to like. Oh, I'm just going to peel off a ten, stuff it in my pocket. They'll never know. It'll it'll nobody will ever know that I took that. God will know. God will know. In particular, the word covetousness here is linked. The word covetousness in this passage. In fact, the, the command, thou shalt not covet, is actually about you know, a sinful act. Coveting, coveting in a sinful way. If you look up the word covenant, every one of them is, is associated with a sinful act. But this one, the word covenant, or covetousness, is linked to extortion, to a love of money and to fraud. That's what he's saying. He, he's trying to prevent the church from extorting money to, to fraud uh, the givers, you know, they had to collect the money. The church, it's not like the church had a bunch of money sitting around. They got it from the, from the members of the church as well. And so, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 warns us that the love of money is the root of all evil, leading, away some, leading some away from the faith. 
So that's a concern that we have to be careful of. That's what Paul. That's why he sent Team Titus to make sure that people weren't drawn away from from the faith. Um, generosity uh, is a, is a godly desire for others in need to have what I possess. Generosity is the is the godly desire for others in need to have what I possess. So I'm gonna, I want to make sure I'm clear on what I'm saying here. My generosity leads me to help others have what I have. I'm being generous with what I have. Generosity is giving what I have to others who need it. That's generosity. And so you cannot, here's a, it's interesting, you cannot be covetous and generous at the same time. You can't do both. Now you might do one and then do the other right after that. Don't do that either. But I mean, But the thing is, you can't have a generous heart and a, and a covetous heart at the same time. So Paul turns our attention to some guiding principles concerning generosity, which counter covetousness in the closing verses of this chapter. So let me give you some principles on giving. So as we come to the end of this long passage, and like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, on giving. Paul concludes with some very important principles. Verses 6 and 7, Paul is telling us in verse 6 and 7 to give genero- generously. Give generously. Back in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, uh, it, it says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. So, uh, he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. So, your giving is just giving to God. You're giving to them to, to help them, you're giving to God. So, uh, giving to others is a means by which God build, or God gives abundantly back to us. When we give, God gives us back again. So we're not giving just so we can get. So don't don't misunderstand. It's just this is how God works things out. He covers you in what you give. G- giving generously can only be accomplished when we give like like we're overflowing, which is exactly what we read in verse Luke uh, in Luke six thirty eight. Right, things are overflowing, running over, uh, shaking together, running over, and just spilling out all over the place out of our lives. So giving generously is not only to be an act of joy, it also is an act of faith. Giving generously is an act of faith. Now sure, you may never see what you've given returned to you. That's not, that, kind of, that can happen. You could give some, some amount. I don't know, we're, since we're talking about money, we'll just stay in that context. Well, you could give some amount and never see it returned back to you um, But your giving should not have been a desire for a return on investment anyway. We're not looking for what's called an ROI. We're not looking for a return on investment. We're not looking, if I give, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of ministries out there that are um, prosperity type gospel. Like if you give me a dollar, God will send you ten. You give me five, God will send you fifty. You send me a hundred, God will send you a hundred and one. You know, because it always changes. Because you, you send them more money, you get less. <laughs> that's prosperity gospel for those, those 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 churches but anyway the point is this don't look for what don't look for a return you should not be looking for a refill anyway instead what you should be looking for you should be looking for god getting victory in the lives of who what you gave to for there's a slash in there uh so who, whatever you gave for whatever you gave to what you want to see is god working 
That's what you, that, that is, that ought to be enough of a return. We gave, we gave this offering, a good example, you gave this offering to raise, to raise money to, to uh, produce Bibles to send to a missionary. Well, we don't know where all those Bibles are going. We know they're gone. We know they've been shipped. And we know that they're going to be used. You may not ever hear about people getting saved. Because people sometimes ask me, do you ever hear about people getting saved? I don't actually ever hear. I just know they get used. And I'm going to, I'm going to see the victory of that blessing, that giving, when we get to heaven. And then, I'll, then somebody will say, I got this Bible. This is an awesome Bible. And like, oh, praise the Lord. We, we made that Bible. You got saved because you had that Bible. Then I'll get to know. Then that's, that's okay. That's, that's when we need to worry about it. Verses 6 and 7 also gives us some other principle. And I would just say avoiding a bad taste towards giving. A bad taste in your mouth. So verse, verse 7, let's read. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, not with a bad taste in his mouth, or of necessity. Ah, I hate to give. But for God loveth a cheerful giver. So don't have a bad taste in your mouth. Take note of the two words in these two verses, verses 6 and 7, that speak of how to avoid a bad taste. Verse 6, verse six says, sparingly, don't give sparingly. Verse 7 says, don't give grudgingly. Sparingly and grudgingly, both giving it graciously and generously, or sparingly or grudgingly, that's how you give. You're either going to give graciously and generously, or you're going to give sparingly and grudgingly. And they're controlled by the by what's in your heart. That's, that's how you give. You give based on what your heart says. To, to purpose to, is to prefer. How you purpose in your heart. To prefer, to choose, to intent, how you would give. And then in verses 8 to 10, there's a couple of blanks here. It says, God graciously, or give graciously, or as Paul likes to say, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Giving graciously is, is giving graciously. Giving generously is giving graciously. And so when we, have, when we give generously, God replenishes not what we gave, but he replenishes our grace. Our giving then becomes a conduit for God's blessing. And God ministers seed to, to supply both us and to increase the fruit of his righteousness. And then in verses 12 to 15, I don't think I have a blank for you there, but our giving is a conduit for God to magnify the results. Uh, so I'm going to try to read verses 12 to 15. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also of many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and with all men, and by their prayers for you, which longeth after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. Okay, so in verses 12 to 15, our giving is a conduit for God to magnify the results. And Paul is speaking of four things here. Just in these passages, there's four things, four ways that God magnifies your giving. How does he do that? Four things. First, number one, the poor are relieved. Your giving relieves the poor. That's what That would be in verse 12. Verse 12, that the service of giving supplies the, to the want of the saints. They relieve, their po- relieve the poor. The poor are relieved, not making them a charity case. We're not, ta- we're not turning people into a charity case. Instead, they witness the role of the priest as the giving is administered. 
So the priest is ministering, and you're all priests, according to Revelation chapter 1. Um, so instead, they witness the role of the priest. And so the word administered there in verse 12 means service rendered by God's servant. And the word service re- refers to the priestly service. So you basically fulfill a leadership role in a person's life, and they're, they're, they're relieved from their situation. The second thing uh, that God does to magnify what you've given is the praise is raised. Praise is raised. Again, also in verse 12, many thanksgivings are made to God. Our giving ignites praise in others as they rejoice because they see the spiritual reasons for giving to have record or to have a cor- uh, occurred. And so, for, using the Bible distribution again, it, literally, I've, I've seen, I've experienced, I've, firsthand I've experienced it, and I've seen it in videos where people that have, they receive a Bible that they've never had before, and they literally cling to it. And they praise God for the Bible that they have received because of a church in America sent it to them. With no cost, no strings attached. Just hey, we want to give you a Bible. We want to we want to get the word God out. We want to plant the seed, and so the seed can be sown. So our giving ignites praise in others as they voice their 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 jubilation because they see the spiritual reasons for giving to have an occurrence. Uh, number three. Number three, Paul. Uh, it proves faith in Christ. Your giving proves faith in Christ. Verse 13 talks about professing subjection to the gospel of Christ. Through our giving, we declare our faith in Christ. So we, you know, we're giving because we know what Christ is doing. Our, our, our giving ought to be motivated because of Christ. Let me go back and read verse 13. While the experiment of this ministration, they glorified God for your professed subjection into the gospel of Christ. So right there, your professed your subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution because of that uh, unto them and unto all men. So your liberal distribution proves faith in Christ. And the last one is prayer is revived in verse 14. Uh, they pray for you. Uh, they see prayer answered because they had a need. They prayed. They had an an- and, and God answered that prayer. And so uh, that's the end of the chapter. So um, we got a few minutes left, and I did promise. Probably didn't want me to, but I did promise to talk about tithing, actual tithing. So you notice in chapters eight and nine, Paul didn't discuss tithing. He didn't t- discuss giving to your local church, and this was a collection for a church that was in need or a circumstance. And literally, in this case, it was across the pond, across the ocean, to get from where they were at in Greece, uh, Macedonian area, all of that, uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, back to Jerusalem. So this wasn't just their local church. He wasn't even talking about local church. But let me tell you this. So as I forecast, I want to talk about this. I want to wrap up this short story, the short two-chapter lesson on the topic of giving with with the subject of tithing. Now, we all know what church, uh, New Testament church giving is. It's called tithing. That's, we use that word very, very commonly. But what does that actually mean when we're talking about tithing? So I want to break this kind of down for you. I don't want to take a lot of time because everybody's been through D1 and understands it. And, and uh, I will say, if you're teaching D1 to somebody, you really need to teach this. You need to make sure this is included in, and you're teaching your disciple to tithe. 
Because sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, people get all the way through discipleship and they didn't know what they were supposed to tithe. And that's, uh, that's not good. Anyway, without going any further into that. Um, so while Paul's focus in chapters 8 and 9 was about sticking with a commitment to contribute, tithing followed much of Paul's... Everything that Paul said, you can apply to your tithe for the same reasons, the same justifications, the same methodology, everything, exactly the same. Tithing follows much of Paul, what Paul taught, but instead of helping others, a tithe is to help the local church. It's just to give it to another need. Now, I'm not going to take the time to speak about tithing in depth, because, as I said, because many of you have already had all of that. You know how to tithe. Probably many of you are tithing, I hope. But however, I, I do want to hit some highlights. So but let's describe the tithe. When we say the word tithe, so knowing to tithe was a principle that had been understood by God's people from the beginning. Uh, we could actually say this, was, this is not a Bible principle. This is an eternal principle. Because um, the first time that this, ver- this word tithe is used is in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. And, was in, and talking about Abram, it says, Blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. That word tithe sets the standard for the definition of tithes throughout the Bible. Uh, the word is defined here, and it keeps the definition all the way throughout Scripture, including the Old and the New Testament. The word tithe means ten, or tenth. Hebrew for tenth, or ten. Um, at the time of Genesis... There was no Old Testament law. The Old Testament law wasn't given until the book of Exodus, when, when Moses led, the, led Israel to the Mount Sinai. That's when the law was given. This was occurring even before the law. That's an inter- I use the phrase eternal principle because um, it's very similar to... Um, where are my notes here? Uh, Abel. When Abel, how did Abel know to give an animal sacrifice if there was no law yet? There was an eternal principle that there needed to be a sacrifice. That eternal principle was actually established in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, an animal sacrifice, skins uh, were used to cloak, cover them in their sin. And so, so that principle is already there. So, so uh, Abel knew it. Cain didn't understand it, but Abel knew it. Um, So uh, Abram didn't tithe out of obligation to the law. He gave, he gave a tithe to honor the living God. That's why he gave it. And he gave it to Melchizedek at the time because he was God's representative as a priest of the, of the, the Most High God, his, his name was called. So tithing did not originate in the law. So knowing to tithe was like Abel, as I said, uh, and Abram knew it as well. Jacob also continued the practice of tithing in Genesis 28, verse 21 and 22, where it says, So then I came again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And for all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He knew to give the tenth before the law, before the law was established. We're still in Genesis. We had not even got to Exodus yet. Okay, so how much to give and why? Why do we have to give a tenth. So the Lord established that the tithe belongs to him. It's an interesting thing if we look at it in Malachi. Flip over to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. 
The tithe literally belongs, God owns the tithe. It's his. All you're doing is giving back to him what he owns. In, he, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, God says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And his answer is, In tithes and offerings you are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me of this whole, even this whole nation. The tithes belong to God. He says it right there. You robbed me, he said. You robbed me of my tithe. You took what belonged to me. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, it gives us guidance on tithing out of our abundance. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Now, the spoils is the key word there. Because the spoils, the spoils refer to uh, the top. Uh, literally, it's translated the booty. Uh, the 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 uh, that which is won in the in a battle in a war the first fruits uh, so when it comes to monetary income you can say it's your yearly it's your yearly uh, pay when it comes to other increases which I think a lot of people skip out on the other increases part it's anything that that brings you spoils for example I just give you a couple of examples. Um, Sale of property, uh, sale of stock, sale of bonds, sale of real estate, sale of, I mean, you know, if you if you buy a car for $100, you sell it for $5,000, you need to tithe on that $4,900. You think, well, why? There's no money. Yeah, there was money involved. You just profited. That's a spoil. That's, a, that's an increase of what you had, and you should. And I don't know if people do or not. I mean, I don't even know if you ever thought, well, I never thought about that. You know, the housing market today, you know, who knows what's going on. But in any case, that's, I just want to give those out as a couple of examples. So ties are also gathered weekly. Um, let me back up here. Let me give you five principles of tithing. I don't know if those are, should be in your notes as well. First, tithing must be given in the power of your faith in God. Number two, tithing is a command of the New Testament, but the principles is not a command of the New, New Testament, so we're not commanded to give tithe. But the principle still rings true, as we've seen in the last several weeks about giving. And tithes are gathered weekly on the first day of the week, according to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God prospered him. That prosper would be the spoil. So I would equate Paul's reminder to meet the promise made by the Corinthians as what I would term as faith promise giving. Has anybody ever heard the expression faith promise giving? Faith promise giving? Some of you have. Basically, we don't do faith promise giving here. Usually it's associated with missions, faith promise missions, where we have a missions conference, and then we encourage everybody to fill out a commitment card about how much you're going to give every month for the next 12 months, and then we take that amount of money, and then we'll say this is how much we have to support missionaries. And we're going on faith. You, you're, you're not changing your tie to the church. You're saying, I'm going to give this much just to missions. That's above and beyond your normal regular tithe. Uh, so we don't really do faith promise missions, but I think any giving is a faith promise. I think every giving is a faith promise. When, and I think that what we should do as, as, you know, is every year, as we're rolling around to January again, we're looking for... Um, 
New Year's resolutions, I think we need to evaluate what do I want to give to God this year? What should, do I want to give more this year than I gave last year? Okay, I've been doing 10. Maybe this year I'll do 11. Maybe this year I'll do 12. Maybe I will give more mission support. Maybe I will support the benevolence ministry of the church. Maybe I will help other ministries. I'll, I'll give to the children ministry. I'll give to the Bible ministry. I'll give to the jail ministry. I'll give to whatever. I mean, we need to make those kind of uh, thoughts and, and make those commitments at some point in time. So faith-based tithing is your trust in God, not to, sacrific- not to give sacrificially, but that your commitment is filled, fulfilled because God gives you what to give. If you say, okay, I'm going to give $20 to missions, just let's say $20, in addition to everything else. But I don't have $20 in my budget. I don't, okay, God, I want to give $20. God, can you give me $20 every month so I can give to the missions fund? That's faith promise missions. And uh, we don't do that here, but I do think it, that any kind of giving like that, where I make a commitment. Now, I've committed. I'm going to give $20 a month for the next 12 months to missions. And now, honor your commitment. Perform the doing of it. That's, what, that's the lesson in all of this. Okay, so the preaching of the gospel is intimately associated with God's giving of the word of the world, his son. And every ministry is an expensive ministry. And every believer is obligated to do what he can to further the work. And this includes preaching the gospel himself, praying and giving. And so supporting pastors and missionaries is an obligation of the church. We see that in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. For everyone, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And we'll finish up here with this. The church itself is also an obligation. It is the house of God and the pillar and ground of truth in this age, and it's the headquarters for world evangelism. This church is the headquarters for world evangelism. Now, we don't, we don't fall under any kind of world uh, umbrella, but we have a world, we touch the world with our, with our missions program. And so uh, it's headquarters for world evangelism, and believers are obligated to support the work of the church financially so that it can fulfill the God-given function in this needy world. So, just, I mean, there's bills to be paid, there's growth to be sustained, as well as benevolent needs and the care of the house and so on. There's just a lot of things. And so, um, God wants to, he wants his tithe, he wants us to give his tithe. Now, what if you can't? What if your budget is in a situation where, uh, I, and I, I was kind of hesitant about even saying this, but I don't want to, I don't want to steer anybody wrong, but, you know, I mean, make a commitment and then work it out over the next few years if you have to to get to the point where it's an actual tithe. Because I realize that some people can't. They're, they're, you know, they have debts, they have circumstances, medical bills, different things are going on. And so, okay, I think God's aware of those kind of things too. God's looking for a cheerful giver, not looking for a, uh, a giver that is uh, begrudged God, oh, I've got to give. And I, you know, I can't feed my kids because I've got to give. I said, God's not asking for that. God is asking for you to have a cheerful heart to give what you can give. But notice, he didn't, in the New Testament, there is no law, you've got to give ten. I just want you to know that the, the ten belongs to God. And God knows where you're able to, what you're able to do. And so, keep all those kind of things in mind. And uh, so we're going to wrap up. We're going to finish that. And if you're tithing, great. It might be a time to, to commit more if you, if you can. I'm not saying you have to, but this is something to think about. If you're not tithing, 
maybe this is a good time to evaluate getting started or getting close. There are people that don't give anything at all. And I'm going to tell you that because as a pastoral team, we're already discussing that. So that all came up separate from this study. The study and that, that conversation kind of coincided. And, um, and so I'm not trying to accomplish anything beyond what the Bible's, you know, we got to verse, we got to chapter 8 and chapter 9 and we taught it because we teach expositorily here. We just take what it says and go with it. Um, but I want to let you know that there are people that don't give anything. I mean, nothing. Zero. And so, I'm telling you that, that because I want you to know that you can pray about that. Uh, that uh, people will be able to be able to give. Maybe they, may, they just may not be able to. I don't know what their circumstances are. I don't know. You know, you know maybe they're... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Living on welfare. They don't have it. They just literally can't give. Okay, well, that's fine. I think God is okay with that. But, uh, but if, you know, if you're making 100000 a year and you're not giving, there's a problem. I don't know if anybody's making 100000 a year because we don't know those kind of things. Anyway, I'm going to stop. We can just keep rambling. But let's pray, and uh, then we'll be dismissed, and we'll get into the main service. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this, uh, this lesson. And what a, what a powerful uh, concept, Lord, about being committed to, to support the work that you're doing through us to help other people. I do pray, Father, that you would just guide and direct our hearts, that we would always be cheerful about how we serve you and how we uh, support that service, whatever that is, whether it's a physical support or physical or spiritual or whatever, or financial. We just ask for your blessings on the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye, whoever's online there still. Thanks for checking in.